Well, do you know what an everlasting gobstopper is? Ever heard of that? It's that amazingly delicious candy invented by Willy Wonka in his chocolate factory. And he invented the candy especially for children with very little pocket money. And the reason for that is that the glory of the gobstopper is that it, it never goes away. No matter how many times you put it in your mouth, it never gets any smaller. Instead, every time you eat it, it becomes a new color, a new flavor, sometimes roast beef, sometimes a decadent dessert, sometimes a tasty fruit. It's so good, it always changes, but it never goes away. It's everlasting. You know, good stories cannot get away from the gospel because the gospel is the greatest story that's ever been told, and that's why others imitate it. That's why they steal elements from it for their own stories, because nothing is as moving, and nothing is as feel-good, and nothing resonates in the heart like the unbelievable story of the love of Jesus. Do you believe that? It's for those the gospel is. With very little pocket money, what's the call of the gospel? Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat without money and without price. What's the call of the gospel? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is an eternity in that word good. Because Jesus says good is only what God is. And so there's always something new for us to discover and taste in the goodness of God. And of course, Christ is the everlasting King of kings and Lord of lords. Never will he go away. Never leave us. Never forsake us. And so the gobstopper is good if it reminds us of these amazing truths. But silly Illustration aside, when it comes to Christ, every day is a day of opportunity for you and for me to discover new truths about him, things we've never seen before, things we never knew before. Every day is a day for you and for me to dive into the vastness of that word, good, and find out more and more what it means you and I must always spend time with Christ so that his greatness is always growing before our eyes. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we come once again to Luke chapter 1. I want to invite you now to take out your Bible or the one that you'll find in the pew rack in front of you. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, and when you've found your place there, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, this is the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin 
betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do ask now, as we come to your word, inspired by your spirit, that that same spirit who dwells within your people will teach us your truth and show us the greatness of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, here's the deal. I could say the word gobstopper throughout the course of this sermon. In an attempt to make you hear the words differently, I could talk about gobstopper grace or gobstopper love, but I can't do it. I can't bear to say it one more time. So, here's the deal. It's the quality of that candy that's so important. The candy's everlasting. It's for those who are needy. It's the same candy, but it tastes in different ways to different people at different times. You can always expect more from it. So are we good with that? No more gobstopper, okay? Let's get to it. The verses before us this morning. Gabriel makes his third appearance in Scripture, this time to Mary. Last week, we looked at those first two appearances. First, to Daniel in the Old Testament. And then to Zechariah, also here in Luke chapter 1. And there is a sameness in all of these appearances. Mary is, like Daniel and Zechariah, afraid when Gabriel appears to her. And so Gabriel immediately says to Mary, as he said to Daniel and Zechariah, do not be afraid. You see the shining splendor. Of one who comes immediately from the unapproachable light and glory of God is understandably awe-inspiring. But we do not need to be afraid of God when he comes to us in his grace and his love. And that's what he does here. And so there's also this sameness about the message that Gabriel brings from God. To Daniel, Gabriel said, your pleas for mercy... At the beginning of your pleas, a word went out. I have come to tell you it, for you are greatly loved. And to Mary, he says, Mary, you have found favor, charis, grace with God. This is such good news. And reason for great joy in the sameness of our great God who is transcendent. He is other than we are, but he is also eminent. He is so near to us. And yet his love and his grace come to each to suit the need they have, to equip for the purpose to which they've been called, to display 
the multifaceted grace of God, to show God's expression of it in one person that might not be seen in another person. The life purpose of God for Mary is different than the life purpose of God for Zechariah, is different than the life purpose of God for Daniel, is different from the life purpose for you, is different than God's life purpose for me. His love and His grace taste different to each of us according to where we are and what we need and what God has called us to do. And that taste changes and grows as we walk longer with and closer to the Lord to become his devoted disciples. That's reinforced in Gabriel's words to Mary. Look with me again, if you will, in verse 32. Gabriel says to Mary of Jesus, He will be great. Or as the old King James Version says, He shall, He shall be great. I must admit, when I read this statement, I wanted to take issue with Gabriel. Of course, I cannot take issue with Gabriel, can I? Because he's an angel, and the words he delivers come from God. But my issue was this. Gabriel puts this statement in the future tense, almost as if Jesus had not yet achieved greatness, but that one day... In time, Jesus would be great. So I want to say, wait a minute, Gabriel, what do you mean he will be great? He shall be great. He is great. From all eternity past, he has been great. But then I realized that's exactly the point to us. The greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ is ever growing before our eyes. It isn't even possible to quantify eternity. That's what makes eternity, eternity. There is no beginning to it. There is no end to it. And Jesus is eternal. And so I know that the future tense of these words of Gabriel do not suggest that Jesus is not yet something, not yet great, but rather to point to how that greatness will be increasingly revealed. You see, in time and space, Jesus had not yet entered the womb of Mary. In time and space, he, as the creator, had not submitted himself into the flawed care of the ones he had created. In time and space, Jesus had not lived among sinful human beings, touching them, being touched by them, embracing them, eating with them. In time and space, Jesus had not yet endured the temptations of the evil one, In time and space, Jesus had not yet drunk the cup or gone to the cross. In time and space, Jesus had not yet prayed for the forgiveness of those who were tormenting him. In time and space, Jesus had not yet silenced his own cry that he could have made to 10,000 angels to come and take him off the cross. In time and space, Jesus... The pure and holy God had not taken on all the sins of the world, all the sin of sinful human beings. But all of these things Jesus would do. And so he shall be great when he does each 
of them. More and more, his greatness will be revealed to us. And that is the glory of Christmas. The earth receives this glorious king, and we get to look at, and we get to look for more and more of that grace that he brought when he came to us. Oh, the glory of the words from John chapter 1 that we memorized together as a church. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And that beautiful grace upon grace. Grace piled upon top of grace. This grace doesn't disappear until more grace has followed behind it, just like the waves of the ocean. One cannot break upon the shore and recede until another one has come on top of it. Grace is everlasting. It's always changing. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah prophesied so many beautiful things about the coming Messiah, the coming Jesus. And he was inspired to write by the Spirit of God the famous words of Isaiah chapter 9. For us, to us a child is born, you know it. And then he writes of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. And so I equate Isaiah's words with the words of Gabriel. He shall be great. Isaiah's statement of the increase, there shall be no end. No end to the increase. More and more and more. The glory and the greatness of Christ will appear before us, ever increasing. The only other time this word increase is used in scriptures also by Isaiah. When he writes that an abundance, the same word as increase, an abundance of spoils will be divided and even the lame will carry off the plunder. And so these are our words, increase and abundance. They describe the greatness of Christ. How can we limit his greatness? We can't. But neither can we comprehend it all at once. And that's glory. There's so much of him to know. So much of him to see. And Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so our expectation should be that the greatness of Christ, the full greatness, is always future for us. The expectation for us is that an eternity in heaven will be required for you and for me to plummet the depth of his greatness. But these words are spoken to Mary, not in eternity, but in time and space. And so the expectation is that you and I should be looking always for that greatness right now, engaging in the word of God that reveals the greatness of Christ. Are you, are you engaging in the word to see Christ? Jesus says this to you and to me, for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Is that not an amazing promise? You have more, you get more, and more and more. This is how 
the greatness of Christ grows before our eyes. In Jesus, there's always an abundance. In the next chapter, Luke is going to write this about Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about Jesus. Treasure, ponder, marvel. Treasure, ponder, marvel. Can you say it with me? Treasure, ponder, marvel. One more time. Treasure, ponder, wonder. <coughs> Three great words. They indicate that from the moment of his birth, Mary treasured everything about Jesus. She found everything worth remembering, worth storing in her mind. She pondered. She gave careful thought to everything about Jesus. She marveled. She was astonished by everything that every person said about him. And here's the thing. The information is coming to Mary only little by little. And with everything she hears and with everything she sees, the greatness of Christ is growing. Who would he turn out to be? What would he do? Mary has no concept of the Trinity, not yet, or of the pre-existence of the son she's going to have, not yet. She has no concept of the hypostatic union that her son is 100% man and 100% God at the same time, not yet. You see, this is just the beginning of the greatness of her son that will ever grow in her eyes. I know that scripture says that the Lord our God rejoices over us with singing. Did you know that? Zephaniah. The Lord our God rejoices over us with singing. Perhaps it's the joy of his heart to make a beginning with people, with you and me, to open our eyes, to see our need for Christ, to embrace him by faith. And then the Father watches as our eyes grow wider and wider as we wonder and ponder and marvel at the increasing glory of Christ. What I'm passionate to communicate at this very special time of year on this Christmas Eve is that wherever you are right now in this moment with Christ, there is more of his greatness for you to know. There's more of his greatness to see. What I'm passionate to communicate to you this morning is that wherever you are right now in this moment, you are not behind. You are where you are. But you and I can and we must 
move forward. As Gabriel says here, he shall be great. There's more of his greatness to see. Increase upon increase. Grace upon grace. Always changing. Always tasting different to us. Because our gracious God always meets us, you and me, where we are. And he takes us where we need to be. Is that good news? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to, in some way, comprehend eternity. And know that the vastness of that is required to contain your greatness. We do ask that you would forgive us if we have thought too small of you. Forgive us if we have believed that we have you figured out, that we know all we need to know and need not know more. Forgive us for that, Father. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see the greatness of Jesus and that our eyes would open wider and wider and wider in wonder as we commit ourselves to your word, to seeing you more and more. Do this in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.